Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life. I do a column there a couple times a week, two or three times a week, about that intersection between the lives we lead and the stories we tell, uh, as do other writers. And uh, we also have video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My latest, uh, just up this week, or just, yeah, up this week, is with Reza Farzman, the uh, cartoonist author of Poorly Drawn Lines, and he's got a new graphic novel out called City Monster Fun Guy. We talked about humor. We talked about his just writing and cartoons. Hey, fascinating conversation. Lovely guy. Check it out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We have a little conference, a mini craft conference coming up in January. So no matter where you are, as is the nature right now, given the pandemic, uh, this is going to be online. So anyone can attend. Again, we're not going to be pitching stories at this one. No agents or editors. We love them, but they're not coming to this one. I'm going to be doing a class on the book proposal. There'll be other classes on story and character. Anyway, you know what craft is. Well, if you want to attend, check it out at pnwa.org. pnwa.org. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, Okay, people. Oh, we got a good one for you today. Yes, we do. Mr. E.A. Bars. He is the author of uh, The Unrepentant and, most recently, the thriller they're gone. It's a good, oh, it's exciting. It's a good one. As well as the anthologies, uh, The Swamp Killers and The Night of the Flood. And in both anthologies, he served as co-editor and contributor. His column, Decisions and Revisions, little T.S. Eliot reference there, appears monthly in uh, the Washington Independent Review of Books. And he is also the managing editor of The Thrill Begins, international thriller writer's online resource for aspiring and Debut thriller writers. He also serves on the board of ITW as the vice president of author programs. In addition to ITW, he is a member of Mystery Writers of America, Crime Writers of Color, and Sin C. Bars also runs the Noir at the Bar series for Washington, D.C. He was born in Panama, but he lives in the Washington, D.C. area, and he's with us today on the telephone. Ed, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm already having fun, and we just started, so that's a good start. <laughs> Should we end now? Because I know you want to go. You know, you go out on a on a. No, note. we're going to get even. Oh. on a higher note, it's going to get even higher. Okay, so you're born in Panama. When did you come to these United States? So I was born in Panama and lived there for maybe my first four years or so and then my dad was uh, military and uh, brought us oh. to the states so we went around everywhere i spoke spanish when i came here and uh learned english and promptly forgot my spanish and no. I never able to quite get it back no oh no you know it's funny i have a friend he's korean i mean he's korean american he was i think he was born in america but he would he's fluent in korean his parents were korean but his father was some big deal mathematician 
and they lived in Paris when he was seven. And so for that, after he lived in Paris for one year, he's been fluent in French ever since. So I had the idea that all children are like that. Like once you get fluent in something, you just have it. But you lost it. You lost I it. I did. And it's really it's, – it's so frustrating because half my family, right, is yeah. Panama, and uh, all of my conversations with them are essentially, hi, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine too. Good. <laughs> no. You know, sometimes right. I sort a formal usted, but that's about it, you know? Wow. I was going to ask you about the language thing because writing language, you know, Nabokov, yeah. he wrote – I think Lolita was his first – book in English you know he wrote all those in, in uh, Russian and so but that wasn't an issue apparently not at all okay yeah he, yeah yeah I um in, in so many ways he and I are very are very similar but that uh-huh. is <laughs> that is one oh, glaring, oh, one you glaring never come. okay right yeah but in that, all right well so you came here you, okay so you're American that's I mean psychologically I assume that's sort of how you see yourself I don't know I've only been this is my only country so I don't know yeah. how that works is that kind of how you see yourself? It is, yeah. I mean, I try to go to. I mean, I've I've lived around in and throughout America for most of my life, uh, right. from like a stint in Europe. But uh, you know, it, it's really I, I do see myself as American, but the Panamanian uh, has become more important the older I've gotten. And right. I have a son now; he's six years old, and I really Ooh. want to make going to Panama. Um, something that's just part of his life, you know. Something that when yeah. he when he's older, he sees like every, oh. like every couple of years we'd go to Panama. I, well, it will be fun for him. Right? Good it's luck. Got to be a drag, but still. Good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. hoping for something for your children. I just having to have two of them. You just never know what they're gonna like. He may love it, and he may roll his eyes at it. You just don't know, do you? I, I'm I I go into it with a very low bar. I'm expecting okay. him to dislike <laughs> everything, yeah. so I'm pleasantly surprised a lot of the times. You know. All right, <laughs> excellent. All right, so let's talk about you. So let's talk about when you you're, you're a young person. When did you uh, writers? <laughs> Thank you. Writers are, uh, you know, there's kind of a common thread that runs through them, but there's all different, you know, creation stories, so to speak. Uh, when did you get really interested in stories like was that something you always loved yeah i mean i was a you know i'm I'm an only child and you know because we moved around a lot it was you know i had friends wherever we went but there was definitely a bit of an outsider you know kind of sense to that and isolation and and i i spent a lot of time you know with my folks which was fine but i also spent a lot of time in books um yeah i remember you know distinctly like walking with them when we were in europe um and, you know, following them and, and reading a book as I was walking. You yeah. Know, I always had um, a book with me. Um, right. I, You're I one of those. Honestly, most – yeah, I, I think a lot of writers had that relationship with books yeah. Yeah. growing up. And I, I didn't really take it seriously. I mean it was kind of the thing where people said, you know, you, I had that teacher who was like, you, you should write. And you, yeah. know, you have that – people see it in you even when you don't really take it seriously. And it wasn't yep. until college that I uh, oh. that I really began to – to, to think this is something I could do. Yeah. You know, it's interesting with writers because uh, there's a few examples I know. I know Andre Debus and his dad was a was Andre Debus, the the writer. But most writers don't come from writers. You know, you might be a you might mm-hmm. be an, a, a lawyer who comes from lawyer or doc, I mean, it's a or or I should say it's just the arts period because there's a lot of professions that 
there's, you can, there's some overlap, but the arts is very particular. And most people go into the arts don't come from people who are in the arts. Your father was in the military, so that's not the arts. Um, Right. So psychologically, and so in college, you're going to college, were you taking like a creative writing class or something? Like what triggered the, like, the thought that you wanted to pursue it? Well, I, I went into college as a psychology major. And ah, after two okay. years, I uh, promptly and just with as much force as possible <laughs> failed out. <laughs> and <laughs> I begged the college, again, very forcefully to let me back in because right. uh, my parents were going to kill me. And they, right. um, And the college said, you can come back. But you have to take certain classes to, to improve your setting. You have to maintain a certain GPA. Otherwise, you're gone for good. And right. you absolutely cannot be a psychology major. <laughs> you have, you have uh, to switch majors. And right. I was like, you know, all right, well, I'll go into English because okay. it just seemed kind of natural to me. And it was – I thought it would be easy. And yeah. it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Right. There was no math. There was there. There were really, really weren't any tests. And English professors are the you know the kings and queens of if you try hard, that's good enough. Right. Right. But um, you know, doing that, I I started to take advanced courses, and I had really good uh, professors at the school I went to, George Mason University. Mm, and okay. one of them was Alan Chuse, who was on NPR for years as one of the, as the book critic for all things considered. Wow. And okay. he was, um, he taught at Mason and he was a really brutally tough teacher, but How so? incredibly How so? effective. Oh, he just, um, you know, we, we were in an advanced fiction writing course and he, oh, there was fiction. Okay. maybe, tw- yeah, there was maybe 20 of us. And, uh, after the first class, there was, 12 left wow. because wow. eight kids After dropped out. And he said this, yeah, he said this is going to be boot camp for writers. And he had us bring in something that we'd written and he um, read it. And, you know, he read the, he, he took one student's paper and he started reading it. And then he got to the second page and he said, this is where the story starts. And he threw out, he ripped out the first page and threw it away. Oh. And that kind of thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit much, right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, and, and I don't necessarily agree with it as a right. teaching method. And, and there was other things he did. It's nothing that was, you know, he, he wasn't Bobby Knight or anything, but right. it was still, um, <laughs> it, it was still really, yeah, he wasn't wrong. Right. And we began to see that. And, and honestly, at, at some point earning his, earning respect from him, earning praise from him was so, right. such a, such a lofty reward. It was kind of a paper chase situation a little bit, maybe. Remember that yeah. movie? Did you ever see the movie? Yeah. Well, this was, maybe it's older than you. I think I'm a little older than you are. But um, yeah, where it's at Harvard and the, the, this professor, you just want his approval. You just want his approval. Yeah, you know, and it it it, it was sort of like that. But he was also uh, there was also a very definite enthusiasm for literature. You know, he right. he was right. very much. Uh, married to the classics and sort of the, the yeah. approach yeah and yeah. and that was at the time you know i i hadn't read anything that could be that would be considered serious literature and what did you read when you were a kid what, what were you reading when you were a kid yeah i read really violent books i read uh, <laughs> <laughs> my parents had a very open policy with reading and music and entertainment. They, right. they assumed that if I read, you know, if I, if I listened to, to, to 
music they didn't like, it would lead to music that they did like. And and oh, okay. generally that kind of happened. But when I was a kid, I, I was really into – I don't know if you – if people still know this, but uh, Mac Bolin. Uh, oh, no, not familiar. Yeah, it was – he was kind of the predecessor to uh, Jack Reacher. Ah, okay. Just a lot more violent. Action. Uh, and, Action. And these, these books – yeah, these books came out like monthly, and they were written by you know, a team of writers under the name oh, Don. I Pendleton. see. I yeah. See. Okay. Right. And they were subscription. You you would subscribe yeah. and get these books. You know, a little box of books, and I loved them. I thought yeah. they were so fun, and uh, yeah. And my parents were a little concerned. <laughs> but eventually it was like romance kind of fiction led... for young dudes. Yeah, and and it kind of led to. Uh, you know, uh, an interest in, you know, as I got a little older, I started reading David Morrell and I really loved his stuff. Uh, oh, okay. I had, you know, when I was in high school, I think in college and, and, and from then on, it went to, you know, sort of, sort of very contemporary, um, uh, thriller writers. Right. Right. What's well, tough. If you're reading that stuff, cause I remember you, cause, and then you've taken a class from a guy who's steeped in the in the classics, yeah. and there's a certain approach. It's you're you're gonna grate on his aesthetic. I don't know if he was able to. I don't want to spend all thirty minutes talking about this guy, but it's always an interesting thing because the conflict between literary fiction. So you're talking literary fiction and um, genre fiction. It doesn't need to be there, but sometimes it is, especially between teachers and students. When the teacher really is trying to teach literary fiction, and they may only have three literary writers in their class, and the rest want to write genre, and there can be this conflict over aesthetic because the aesthetic for the literary fiction is one thing, and sometimes it's very different for the genre writers. So did you go through that at all? I did, but there was also the, the sense that, you know, we really didn't know better, right? We were very, right. if I was doing something like that now, I could, you know, make arguments in favor of, of, of different genres. Um, at that point, really didn't know anything about writing, and he used the classics to teach us the basics. Right. Okay. I thought that approach was fine. Um, and, you know, it, um, it, it, at this point nowadays, when I look at writers, it, it's really, I don't really differentiate between literary yeah. and genre anymore. You know, the I, writers. You know, I totally read, understand that. I understand that. But there are people who really, who in their minds draw a clear distinction. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I, I, I think there's less of a difference myself. But there are people who make, who get, very much up on the horse from both sides about like, no, there's a big difference and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you've met some of them. I have, you know, what's, what's really interesting to me about this, and I've been thinking about it a lot, um, and I'm, I'm planning to write something about it at some point, but I, you know, I've only traditionally published, uh, and that's okay. probably the only route I'm going to go. Um, yeah. I have nothing against self-publishing, but it seems to me that if there's any – any sort of snobbishness or any kind of barriers that are erected now, they're, they're probably really not between literary and genre writers as much as they are between traditionally published uh, and self-published writers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the barriers, one thing, there's one thing for taste, but genre writers are, you know, I mean, they're the ones who are selling books, the ones who are, you know, having, you know, more success uh, in the marketplace compared to sure. strictly yeah, say literary writers. Yeah, true. true. But self-published writers don't even have that access, you know, to, to conferences, to reviews, yeah. to stores. Yeah. To yeah, yeah, it's tough. 
It's tough. And yeah. the and the and the no filtration system. I mean, I know for this show, I you know, I get requests for people who self-publish, and I generally don't do it because uh, well, for a lot of reasons. And uh, mm-hmm. I might be inundated, but I prefer the traditional. But I do think people are self-publishing. Some of them because it really suits their personality. It truly suits their personality. I know people who are having success doing it, but I think a lot of people they just they just don't. They are afraid of the rejection process. And to you all, you self-published people I think out so there, too. I'm not saying that's who you are, but I do think there's a lot of people who, and I can understand that it's so uncomfortable. But I think it's one way around it. But I think it can be a disappointing. So did you? And, and no, I. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to no, say no, go I, I completely agree with that, a hundred percent. And the rejection process is that I've met. I've met a lot of people like that. I, the rejection. The thing is, the rejection process is so painful, but also so uh, instrumental. Yeah. You know, you've it got. Is. If, if you're not, you shouldn't be in this field if you're if you're not willing to to go through it and and honestly go through the ends. You know, that we're, we're talking about college and and writing and. The, the big difference for me that it happened when I – after college from writing was in college, if you worked hard, you yeah. would see the reward. Right. There's, no, there's no guarantee of that in writing. No. Nobody owes you anything. <laughs> no, you can, you can work nothing. for years on a book and, yep. and consider it a masterpiece, and it could end up in your, in your drive or your drawer forever. Yep, absolutely, and, many, and I have many of those books myself. That I worked. I've got the one. The first book I wrote, two. I spent five years <laughs> writing it, and that thing just that was never saw the light of day, baby. Um, same here. Well, you know, same here. You know, you, but that's your. But that's like that's like your. You know, you went to college for it, okay. But wasn't that first book where you really learned it? I mean, isn't that yep. where you? Yep. You just that was your true. That was your real. Whether you got a, 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 you know, an MFA or not, that is where your real advanced degree happened. I think. You. That is so. Astute, and I can't believe I used the word astute, but there, there we are. <laughs> you know, it, you're you're exactly right. That book, writing that book, taught me so much about writing. That's not to take away from the schooling. It's not to take away yeah. from the from the at that point the voracious reading I was doing. Yeah. But the um, writing of that first book with no and honestly with no idea what I was doing, and so yeah. no constraints, no rules. It was just the pleasure right. of writing, and yeah. there was no publishing knowledge. It was one of the best times I've I've ever had as a writer, and I'll never get that again. But it was, um, but the book was, you know, was not very good. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because you have to learn. I always think of it like, um, I mean, some people are able to get it right away, but with when you're writing a book, a novel. I assume this was a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You 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 begin to discover like. I can't like if you're writing a short story or a poem or an essay even, which I do a lot of short form stuff. You can kind of hold the thing in your head, you know. You have a sense of the whole thing in your mind, especially if you. But with a novel, you can't do that. Like it's beyond your mind in a way, and you have to so trust in something that you can't see that I think that takes getting used to. Just the amount. It's just it's beyond your intellectual ability to see that from beginning to end. It it really is, and it 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 it's very hard. I find, and other writers seem to seem to do this pretty well. But yeah, I I wrote something today where I was talking about because I I write a lot of nonfiction as well as fiction. Uh-huh. And I think yeah. with my nonfiction, I can tell you years later what led to an essay, why <laughs> right. I wrote something. With right. fiction, I can't tell you an hour later why I'm writing this. Yeah. Even if I love writing yeah. it, I don't know what's I don't know what's what spurred it on. 
You know, I, I yeah. really don't. And I, I don't know if it's like some kind of, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to, you know, be pretentious and say that's the magical muse or something. But it's, well, no, it's not it pretentious. Is, it's not pretentious. It's the reality. It's the reality. You're sitting down there. Like, listen, I, I am. I don't like. Do you know who? Um, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now. God, the great crime writer. Um, well, his name escapes me right now. But when you're sitting down there, you have to admit you're basically in a relationship with something, whatever you want to name yeah. it, your imagination, God, muse, something, because things come to you. You don't go get them. Right. I mean, yeah. let's, you can't you have to let it come to you. And if it's coming to you, then you can use whatever language you want. But that's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah, and it 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 it's interesting, you know, it it's one thing with fiction that I that I I really wrestle with because with that, yeah, I was thinking about this for a while. Like nonfiction to me feels like a very easy mathematical formula. You know, I yeah, I'm yeah, writing yeah. within certain parameters and boundaries. Right. And there's a start to an end. With fiction, I'm creating all of those boundaries. Yeah. And it never quite feels as done to me as nonfiction. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I never, well, I never entirely feel finished. You know, I think that is. I have a theory about that, in part, which is I've often felt with when we write, we start a story, and the reader finishes it. And in fiction, that is really mm. true because so much of what you have to do as a fiction writer is you're leaving out the stuff you know the reader has to fill in. Like you can't, yeah, you 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 choose those few details, and so much of it is finished by the reader. And I think they're the ones that finish it. We don't get that feeling, but they do. What do you think of that? Yeah. That's my theory. Yeah, I think I I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you um, it, it, it's always interesting to me to take a look to, to to talk to somebody when they have a completely different perspective of something yeah. I've written. Yeah, you know, because I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't realize you were going in that direction or the reader was going that direction. And I, I kind of remember a, a line from Lori Moore where she was saying, you know, writers have no understanding at all of what they've written. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, <laughs> so I, I think, there's some, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel there's definitely some truth to that, but I, I also feel that for me and I, I know I'm harder on myself on my writing yeah, than sure. anyone else can be. Sure. You know, I mean, fortunately, I haven't had a review that's harder on my writing. Than right. Well, oh, good. Really good. Devastating. Yeah. But I, you know, so I'm, I don't know, I'm going to look back at something I wrote a year or two ago. And I don't know, I, some, I do that sometimes if I'm at the event and I, I read something that I wrote a while back. Sometimes you can be pleasantly surprised. But for me, it's, it's a pleasant surprise. I'm not, I'm never really that cocksure about something I wrote years ago. Right, and I, I guess right. you shouldn't be, right? Because you're improving. I mean, you should hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. That's the plan. That's the plan. Well, then, so, uh, so this is your book. This is your second novel that you've published. They're gone. Yeah, it's actually my fourth. Okay, the first your two fourth. are. Yeah, and that, oh. that happens all the time because the first two are out of print. Uh, the, they I were okay. with a a really, really small publisher, and we gotcha. ended up uh, by taking getting the rights back because they were just sort of. Yeah, yeah, okay and so this is your fourth uh what so do you feel are, can you recognize something in you that grew in writing this something that you felt you you came to understand about writing that you maybe didn't understand with the first three yeah i think with this book and it's something that i realized maybe 
in the just after I'd finished it was uh, tension, you know, and oh, oh, the use of suspense. But one thing with that is that I, I don't consider myself very, you know, I think every writer has their strengths, and it, it's good to know your strengths. You know, some yeah. people are great at dialogue, some people are really good at uh, at metaphor. I, for me, I, I don't consider a strength of mine to be plot. And ah, okay. the uh, which is why I when I you know write crime fiction I'm and and if I'm talking about it with people and they ask about writing mysteries I'm like I do not write mysteries <laughs> I write thrillers right, right, the mystery right. is way too intricate for me to right. to even follow much less devise. But with this book, um, yeah, when the reviews came in, the it, the they were they were positive, which was wonderful, but they were also they all complimented the plot, and I was like. Wow. Why are you complimenting ah, the plot? Nice. I think I'm not very good at this. Now, part of it was because it's a, uh, it it I sort of cheat. It, it's not really cheating, but I, it kind of feels like cheating to me because I write from to I, I have two co I have co protagonists, right. and I have to bring their tales together, and you know their right. stories have to start weaving together. So that's where the plot gets complicated. I I right. feel like for me, I'm telling just two different stories. And they're in the same book, and in a way that that just doesn't feel like a very complex plot. But to readers, and it's what we were saying earlier, to readers and I guess reviewers, they see it differently. They're like, "Oh, you right. took well, these two disparate yeah. women." Yeah. So you took these two and things and you brought together. them together. Yeah. It seemed like a clever, seemed like a a, a bit of a trick you pulled off, kind of like a right? genius move. <laughs> but you thought it yeah, was easy. Yeah, and I. And yeah, for me, it was it was really just sort of a cheat, you know, because I don't I don't um, uh, I, I find plotting to be especially, you know, with solidly in crime fiction. So uh, most of the people I know write mysteries. And right. I, I think that would just be such a, you know, the process uh, would be so maybe. labor, laborious, laborious. Maybe. See, hey, I, I know mystery writers. I've known mystery writers. I won't name them, but they said the way it works is they usually there were women who did it this way, the ones that I could think of. They said, well, I have a body at the beginning of the book. I don't know who killed it, but I put the body there, and I find out by the time I'm done writing it. So they don't even know. Don't even know, and they're writing mysteries. So there's all different ways to do that. I would feel so frazzled. (laughs) (laughs) No, I thought it was the butler. No, it's the maid or whatever. Uh, hey, you know, you got to give yourself more credit. My son playing a lot of chess these days. Started playing. He beat some guy the other night. He he loses a lot, but he won. So he came out and said, "I won." That guy must be the worst chess player in the world. I said, "Stop it! Stop it! Yeah, You're no, taking no, away no, from no. your victory. Give it to yourself. Maybe you got better. So maybe you're maybe you're finding your own way to plot. Maybe that's what you got to find. Ed, is your way to plot. I think so, and I think you know, there's that that kind of tired, you know, conversation that always happens at writing conferences. Are you a plotter or a pantser? Oh, blah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But I, yeah. I do tend to find that for me, I need to have a very, most of my life has to follow that route. You know, I have to be very formulaic and I need to have a, I need to have a process laid out. I don't like right. deviation. So okay. having a kid does not help with that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we need certainty. <laughs> yeah. Good luck so, with that. So with my writing, I can control that, you know, and in my life, but I'm, I'm very much the same way in my life. Like if, if things aren't going according to plan, um, I mean, 2020 has not been easy. No, it wasn't part of, the, it wasn't part of your plan. This was not, I, I did not see this coming in 2019. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yes. It's been interesting. We've all been learning. I mean, for a lot of the writers, it's funny. I talked to this writer last week, uh, Joan Frank, and she was like, I thought I was an introvert. I thought I didn't want to be around people. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I am not as much of an introvert as I thought now that I can't see anybody. And I don't know if you, well, of course you have a family, so it's a little different. So you have a, so you probably a little more crowded down there in your house. It's not too bad. I mean, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm a homebody and yeah, this, so um, there, there's a lot of awful things about the pandemic, obviously, but, uh, right. staying at home and sort of being, uh, housebound and, and my job, my day job, um, putting me remote, you know, th- yeah. that actually has really been pleasant. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. I've liked that a lot. And I'm, yeah. I'm an extrovert. I, I like to be around. Oh, people. I really love the in-person events. Yeah. But I, um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I could get used to this. Yeah. Not, not a well, global pandemic. Being well, not a global, but I think people, <laughs> I, I do think there's this, you know, I do think, uh, we have learned something. And I think some of what we have learned from this, certainly for like writers conferences, they've learned the virtual thing is okay. And there's been some great um, invention from all that. And I hope some people out there have learned to be quieter and learn to find something that writers have to find within themselves to be entertained all the time. I hope some people who are used to looking for bars and restaurants for that can maybe find something within themselves to, to, connect to that they thought they had to get from the out of doors. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think this has forced a, a bit of introspection and a bit of yeah. self-analysis for everybody. Right? Yeah. And we've all been put in a situation, you know, I've, I've got to tell you, you know, in March when this first really happened and we yeah. were so yeah. uncertain and, and, and frightened, I, yeah. uh, I, I was as frightened as anybody, but there was this warmth to the shared experience. Yep. Yep. That yep. For me yep. was, was, uh, I, I remember doing the very first, you know, uh, I do a lot of virtual, I, I host DC's Noir at the Bar right. series right. and we went virtually. Yep. And the first event, no, oh, I didn't do the first, the first one that I saw was a New York one done by a great writer, Alex Segura. And oh, he okay. had um, maybe three to 400 people on Wow, and there wow. was such joy in seeing everybody's faces on Zoom, and it, it yeah. was, you know, we're, we we have Zoom fatigue now, but the that yeah. sense of connection and that need for it, that hunger for it, yeah. I I don't know if we'll ever get that again, but it was it, it was kind of like you know, it was like nine twelve as bad yeah. as nine yeah, eleven yeah. was yeah there was that that nine twelve sense of of love and and understanding that's right that's right oh. What a good note to end on. Actually, I'm not quite done with you, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> EA, Ed. I, one more question for you. Well, first of all, people want to learn about you. And I sure. know that, that EA Bars is a, is a pseudo, is a, is a, I don't know if you're going to be writing under that name still, but I know you also write under, I don't know, do you want to talk about your other name? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, my, my, my name is, uh, my real name is Ed Amar. I've written, I do most of my writing under E.A. Amar. I do that okay. only because I don't really like how Ed Amar looks in print. There's no really <laughs> reason. Right, okay, so it's no, nothing that complicated. All right, so if they want to yeah. learn about E.A. Bars, where, which is B-A-R-R-E-S, for those of you just listening, B-A-R-R-E-S, where, where, where's the best place to go? 
the best place is, I mean, I'm on, I'm on all the social media channels under right. E-A-A-M-A-R, A-Y-M-A-R. Um, okay. The easiest place to find everything, uh, like what events I have coming up or writing, uh, would be my website, E-A-M-A-R.com. Gotcha. E-A-M-A-R.com. Okay. So my last question for you, Ed, is this. If, finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Uh, I'm going to go with a little bit of a different answer. The importance okay. of location. Interesting. Give, location in the book or your physical location? The importance of writing about location. Oh. You know, and understanding where, you, where you're from and where you are. Interesting. I think, you know, I, I didn't, I, I think I became a stronger writer once I realized the importance of writing about what's around me. The, and not just you know the 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 people, but the the city and the the land and what it means and and what it what what it how the people from it develop and grow versus where they grow everywhere else. Right. And I find that the I think it was you know Flannery O'Connor who said American the best American writing is regional writing, and I think that's still true. I think we still when I when I when I teach creative writing classes now or when I when I judge short stories for contests or something, there's always those writers who turn away from location and they just want to talk about maybe two people and and they think they're focusing on personalities and character and they're missing that character is so informed by location and, and that characters and, you know, a murder investigation, you know, I do crime fiction in Hawaii is different than it is in Baltimore or Tennessee. And, and those differences inform your character and they inform the reader and they inform you as a person. Well, that is a that I've asked that question many times, Ed, and that is the first answer. That is the first time I've heard it answered that way. It's good. Good for you. Good. You broke out of the Thank box. You. Well done. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, Ed, this has been a lot of fun, as I thought it would be. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with their gone and whatever the next project is. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. You're right. Oh. We ended on a, on a higher note than we started, which is You which see? Is <laughs> it can be done. Got to believe. Okay, Ed, take it easy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, location, location, location. It's good. It's true. Put your people somewhere. Not a moonscape. Got to be somewhere. We're always interacting with our environment. Okay. Well, this was a lot of fun. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, as always. And I'll be back again next week. We'll do this again. Till then, people, go find something you love to do and do it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.